Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. It's great to be back in the studio after a week off. I always miss it, and I'm really excited today. Oh, you, you missed it? I trudging through New York, <laughs> slaving to try to find an apartment through the In fabulously, yeah, through through the very easy um, access to housing that New York has. Oh my gosh, we could do a whole show on what I did last week and why I wasn't here. I, the and- only the only. Um, ideas I've ever gotten about the housing thing in New York is watching episodes of Sex in the City when everyone shows up with their broker yeah, sure. to the apartments as though the brokers own the apartments. And exactly. It was a very possessive kind of process. So um, I, I'm glad that my children are a little bit easier and have not broached to the uh, Manhattan scene yet. So. Well, you might have to do that. And and call me because I, I learned all the ins and outs about renting an apartment in New York. And, and yes, a, you have to have a broker. And what a fabulously relaxing way to spend your vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I never got to the beach, which was the plan, but it's okay because my daughter's safe and sound. Her first day is today working in Soho, and um, I can't wait to talk to her after the show. It's going to be fun. I'm sure she's going to be excited. She is. Clicking her camera up there and making, you know, I I told you just to have, have your child graduate from college and already be moved into an apartment and beginning a job. A few weeks after graduation is, yeah, you're right. it's such an accomplishment because I, you know, it's not that easy. I mean, my, my son, when my oldest graduated with an engineering degree, it was about six months until, I mean, yet geographically he was looking for a specific job, but that was a really stressful time for him because you go to college, you get this fabulous education, you know, you're good at these things and then there's not a job. And right. you begin to doubt yourself. And yeah. so, you so know, I can pat myself on the back. Absolutely. Thank you absolutely, very much. Absolutely. Yeah. This is going to be great today because Beth is actually with me in the studio. And I'm looking view, right at her. There's a view. <laughs> it's beautiful. Gorgeous studio. Thank you everybody at WWDB for making the uh, environment a little bit more, um, visually appealing. It is. Not that you guys can see what we're looking at because it's radio, but it is actually nice to be able to look outside and see the weather and the trees and it's beautiful. What's going on in the world. Absolutely. So I always want to know what you did while we were apart and you're always busy. All kinds of stuff. I went to Cleveland and Columbus to teach surgeons about nipple sparing mastectomy and uh, technologies um, that uh, Medtronic Advanced Energy has developed and we're actually going to have their um, general manager on as a guest in the fall. Can't wait. Um, and yesterday, I had the uh, pleasure of returning to the Schuylkill River with my workout buddies. Um, a couple years ago, I my husband and I work out with Von Hebron. He's a former NFL um, superstar from the Denver Broncos and the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, he's got his, he flashes his Super Bowl rings, which, you know, Obviously, it's very cool because I have none and he has two. Um, <laughs> but Vaughn has a workout group in Newtown that we that my husband and I work out with. So it's kind of like our, our exercise family. And several years ago, some of the women in the class decided that they wanted to do dragon boating. And I had heard about dragon boating only through some of my breast cancer patients mm-hmm. who were part of a breast cancer survivor dragon boat. So we decided many years ago to participate. And the first year, we ended up winning a gold medal. So, of course, everybody was all jazzed. 
Tell the listeners what dragon boating is okay, so in case drag, they don't know. Dragon boating is awesome. It's 20 individuals plus a drummer, so 21 people per team. And you are on this large wooden boat. And you have each, everybody has one paddle. So it's, um, it's almost, it, to me, it looks like the, the canoes, um, from Hawaii 5 that you used to watch. Remember when the beginning mm-hmm. of Hawaii 5-0, yeah. yeah. you know, well, without that, without the, um, the side arching, uh, canoe, uh, piece. So these dragon boats travel around the world. And, uh, in Philadelphia, there is the Philadelphia International Dragon Boat Festival on October 3rd. It's very cool. It's a lot of fun. It's, if you're around October 3rd, go down to the river, park someplace and walk. Um, but well, there are usually like 160 teams. And, uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna paddle this year. And, um, what's neat is that you don't have to be the strongest team. You don't have to be the lightest team. You have to be the team that learns how to work together Mm -hmm. in sync. Because if you're, it's like synchronized swimmers, I think would be great at this because they know what it's like to have, to be on that money every second. And what happens when you do the dragon boating, you're basically like pulling this, this, uh, boat out of the water and kind of gliding along and you and your body movements make it move forward and it's really neat this is a, a great team i had no intention of doing this and somebody dropped out so carol gelati the team captain cornered me on a saturday morning you know we oh, need Beth, you we need yeah. you and, you know they plus I, I usually have very good team spirit so we went yesterday to the river and i showed you the video it's pretty intense yeah i, I couldn't do it i, I, know I don't know i, couldn't I, do I it. think if that video will post i can post it on twitter but it's pretty awesome because this is a group of you know everybody in there you know these are all i hate to say middle-aged women but some of them are younger but most of them are my age in their 50s and um it's just it's a lot of fun it's a great day and uh, we decided this year instead of going out for a big dinner afterwards we're going to find a local pub downtown that might want to sponsor us i'm going to look for a pub that might want us to you know, bless their doors with our presence at 5:30 that uh, on October 3rd. Just because it's so much fun to to talk about the race and the day, and uh, we are intending on winning because we're very competitive women. So I, I think you have to have rhythm to to do you that. You absolutely do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, well, the funny thing of the very first year I did this was right when I started at Holy Redeemer. Yeah, and. We were watching the races and we saw this boat capsize and I'm like, oh my God, those poor schmucks, it's October. You're soaking wet in the Schuylkill and cold. it turns out it was the boat from Holy Redeemer, a bunch of the recovery room <laughs> nurses because I, I saw them when they came out of the water and I was like, because that's like the, the one thing you don't want to do is end up drinking the Schuylkill or soaking no. yourself in it. And no. so my, my current colleagues at Holy Redeemer were soaking themselves in the river. Oh, my God. And they didn't even get the medal, so I oh felt no. kind of bad. But oh no. you know what? It's all good. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Well, speaking of Holy Redeemer, tell me what's happening with the hospital. Any news that you want to share? Um, always good stuff. We're yeah. actually we're interviewing someone today for our practice. Um, she's kind of a, a novel surgeon. She's a OBGYN surgeon who did a fellowship in breast care. So... Um, We'll see if that works out because Holy Redeemer um, is – I'm not sure that everybody gets the whole concept of Holy Redeemer. I was trying to explain this to Charis today that uh, I look at Holy Redeemer as a great portfolio of a hospital because if you're investing for the future, you would not put all your eggs in one basket. You wouldn't just have all stocks or all bonds or all um, – you know, your portfolio has got to be diverse. Mm-hmm. So when Holy Redeemer um, became my home as a physician, um, because we – cover the gamut of care from home care, health care, and life care. We start with OBGYN with the delivery of babies. When every other hospital was closing their delivery rooms, Holy Redeemer said, okay, we need to expand, we need to build. 
So they built new NICUs, neonatal intensive care units, new delivery suites, and really invested in women's care because that's that's a woman's first real entry into the health system for most right. women. Because yeah. most women don't end up going to the hospital for anything before their first delivery except maybe, you know, some outpatient tests, God willing. So then we have the hospital system, which is which is healthcare, and we all know the importance of healthcare. And right now we're in a place um, in in the world of healthcare where it's not just about the care that you get; it's about how we provide that care for our patients. And so we're really working on experience design and creating a positive experience for every patient from the time they come in for pre-admission testing through whatever procedure and even afterwards. Right. And then we have life care and having, you know, a mother in um, a situation with Alzheimer's that she's in a nursing home. We don't use the term nursing home. It's life care because it's really the care of our elders in life. Yeah. And so the fact that we kind of span that whole generation of, of, patients um it's kind of unique and the thing that i'm most excited about now is that i've been given the um kind of the green light and go ahead to work to integrate integrative care meaning integrative and holistic care into every aspect of the health system so i'm working with jody one of my administrative leads to find ways for us to bring integrative care through yoga and meditation through um, using essential oils to um, decrease stress in the workplace for our employees and also for our patients. You know, looking at, at different programs that we can do to treat diseases um, that are um, not an alternative to Western medicine, but to integrate modalities that we know can really bring healing to patients because mm-hmm. it's not enough just to get rid of a disease. You really have to look at what do you do for that individual? How do you help that person not just their physical body, but emotionally and spiritually. And spiritual healing is something that I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of it. And it doesn't matter what religion you practice. It doesn't matter what church you go to on Saturday or Sunday or whether you go to church. It's about finding that's that place where we can create peace in someone's heart through whatever process they're going through. So that's what's exciting to me is that I get to take this big, you know, successful you know, multidimensional healthcare, home care, life care, health system, and say, you know, how can I improve not just the quality for the patients, but also our employees? So I'm pretty psyched about it, but well, you can't I, tell that, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm excited because I think it, it, um, it speaks to the fact that we need to get a little bit further away from the business of healthcare and back to the, the care of the patient. Yeah, putting care, putting help, putting care back into healthcare. There you go. There you go. Um, well, I think we should probably introduce our guests for today. And don't don't forget our our callers can yes, call yes, in yes. at 888-329-3306. Again, 888-329-3306 because I think that Michelle is going to be an interesting guest and we may have some individuals in Philadelphia that would like to talk to her. I hope so. Um, she's certainly experienced and uh, I'm going to introduce her now. Our guest for today is a local lady. Her name is Michelle Lawrence, and Michelle is the Area Banking President and Senior Vice President for the Philadelphia Retail Market of Wells Fargo. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Susan, for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, You know, we have been corresponding back and forth, but have yet to speak, so uh, I'm excited to to hear, hear your story and um, to really talk about the, the great work you're doing locally for uh, women and also men in the area of financial independence. And uh, I, I understand that you graduated from Rutgers. 
uh, with a Bachelor of Arts in English, History, and Math, which tells me that you're, you know, you have strength in all areas. Uh, did you grow up locally? I did. Born and raised in New Jersey. Um, I spent most of my uh, younger years in North New Jersey, transitioned to Irvington uh, at, the, at about the age of 10, and the family still owns property in Irvington even today. Uh, so I went to my parents' alma mater, which was Rutgers University in New Brunswick. Okay. And um, tell me, what uh, what was your family life like growing up? Uh, the, the foundation of the family was um, spiritually grounded, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, family was first. Uh, after God was family. And then it was community. And so I grew up in a household where uh, the village was a part of the family, so I was fortunate enough to also once be a part of a community that took ownership of the kids on the block. So literally the block became the extended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessed to have pillars in my family. My grandma, my grandparents were there, but in particular my grandmothers. Uh, recently lost one. She was 96 when she passed uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, but still have um, one, and she's 104. Wow. So, I love that. That's yeah. great longevity. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. And so uh, between those two pillars, uh, that's where I learned about um, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And so my focus isn't so much on how many titles I can acquire as to you know, when they look at my life, what would they be able to say about what I've done to make a difference? And I grew up watching two women who did not get out of the fifth grade make way for their children to get to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. And so um, education was key uh, and making sure that that was instilled in the next generation was also, you know, pivotal in my family. So each generation took ownership of the next generation. And so if it was bachelor's degrees, the first, you know, my father was the first uh, generation to get degrees in the Newman side. Um, my mom was third generation college. And I did the same thing with, you know, subsequent cousins and my brother as well. And so I grew up with a family that was spiritually grounded. Education was key. Even for those who did not have it, it was imperative that we made sure that the next generation had a great opportunities. And we did attend, you know, public schools, and I went to a few private schools. But it was more important about what was also taught and reinforced at home. So oh, yeah. the, those but, were some critical, yeah, you know. So I, And I grew up with educators, so, my, <laughs> so it didn't hurt. You know, my dad was, um, he was an EOF director at a college and also dean of the, associate dean of admissions. So when you have that right in your house, education. (laughs) There's no getting away from it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's also why you get to stay close to home when you're the oldest daughter and you don't get to say, yeah, I want to go to USC. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That'd be fun looking for a house out there too, I'm sure. Right. Right. Well, there's something about, there's something about strong um, grandmothers. You know, when you have a grandmother, because the grandparents are just going to love you unconditionally, and everything you're going to do is going to be the greatest thing you've ever done. And I always find it interesting when women, you know, guests on the show talk about the impact their grandmothers have had on their lives. So, and you got yours for a long, long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, even now, at 104, she knows it's me. Wow. And, oh, uh, how so wonderful. She had me from, she's, 
she was, uh, you know, in my family, we went, she took care of us until I went to uh, nursery. But uh, she had me at about four months old, three, four months old. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful, so. Michelle. It's it's just amazing to, I mean, we've talked to more and more women every week um, who, you know, don't come from multiple generations of advanced education. And my, you know, I, I think when I, when Susan first interviewed me and, you know, I told her that my mom finished eighth grade. My mom never had the opportunity to go to, to go to even to high school, but it didn't change the fact that my mom instilled in us the same thing. I mean, from the time we were young, we were, we were all very active in our church. We, we, you know, every Sunday we, we were dressed in the same clothing as the last season for the one before us because with seven <laughs> kids we didn't we didn't have a whole lot of new clothing um but th- it's funny now because we look back at those pictures of you know easter sunday and christmas when we'd all be standing on the steps and every year you could watch the dresses go, go down, down the, lo- line. the line between yeah. the between the six girls because you know wh- whoever had the red one on the year before was now wearing the green <laughs> one um but i said that that was one of the one of those things about about coming from a family that has a very strong spiritual base is that you understand what really matters in life and uh, it's not about the stuff and right. too many people don't get that and so that's the thing that I tell folks and why financial literacy is so important to me because, you know, when I had a little, I understood the value of a little. Mm. And, you know, I had respect for what I needed to do when I subsequently earned a little bit more than a little bit more. And my priorities were always in order. My grandmother nor my grandfather, as I said, got out of the fifth grade, but I learned how to save from both of them. Mm. That's key. You know, in- that. That was my first recollection. When they asked me now, where did you first learn to save? I said, I remember my grandfather coming home, taking all of the change out of his pocket. And at the time, there were these little plastic cylinders. And, and you know, you could put quarters, nickels, dimes, and pennies in one. And he would come home and be out of his pockets. And I'd watch him go through the routine. And today, I will go home, empty out the change in my pocket, and drop it into, we now have the cooler, the water cooler, um, tubs yeah. and so I just drop it right into that and so out of habit and I started doing that ever since I was a little girl uh, but we had our priorities in order things did not matter I was raised around you meet your needs first and then you consider your wants but you meet your needs yeah um, and those are some of the things that I want to pass along in particular to women first you know if you have children yes you need to take care of your children but you supply their needs uh, not Xbox. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's not a need. That's right. Um, you, you take care of the need first because what you hopefully will be teaching that child is to leave a legacy of learning how to create generational wealth as opposed to how to stock up on Nike sneakers and yeah. some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I learned. So, yeah, I, I didn't have the latest outfits all the time. They were, My clothes were clean, um, and I did not go to to school with anything with holes. I was not a poor child, uh, but uh, by all means, I certainly didn't grow up with a silver spoon. So uh, there was balance and education took precedence over everything. You know, my parents saved so that I could go to school. Michelle, we did that, something that, in our we did something in our house, which I think you would love with your financial background. There were seven of us, so my dad um, would give us. He started out with with ten cents. And he said that if you have that dime next Sunday, because it was always Sundays were those days, um, he would double it. And if you had that, then the next week he would double that. Well, you know, 
he, it was kind of like we, there was also a store across the street. So there was that, that, you know, temptation, the temptation, you know, caddy corner from our house. And the funniest thing is my sister, Anne, who's definitely the financially savvy one of all of us. She's one of the savvy ones. Um, she had a clipboard because she used to lend the money back to us so that you could get them. It was the craziest thing. Like she became like the household banker, but right. she was the broker. But, but my dad made us realize very early on the importance of saving. Like if you want something, you can figure out how many weeks you need to save to be able to get that. And, you know, he was a cement contractor. My dad graduated from high school was a police officer, but he wanted us to know the value of a dollar. And I don't think a lot of kids know the value of a dollar. They know that a Mac machine goes into a, a, a this this metal thing, this you know that little card. The goes robot. Into, yeah, it goes into the robot and cash is spit out. Yeah. Ex- unless in your Greece, because if you're in Greece, I don't know that that's working right now. But uh, <laughs> um, most most kids do not really grow up knowing the the value of what it means to save for something that they want. Michelle, that leads me to a question I had for you. I think it's such an important topic, and it's, you know, when and where do we start to teach our children about money? And and my feeling has always been from the get-go. So what a wonderful thing, you know, Beth's dad did with with the children with a dime. You know, they're capable of understanding that and seeing that. And I wanted to know what your thoughts are and how we can incorporate teaching children in school early on about money and not just math. I, I believe that you learn about money the same time you learn about math. The moment you know that one plus one equals two, <laughs> you, you're already learning about money. Uh, and, and it needs to be incorporated at that time. Kids are a lot quicker with understanding concepts than we give them credit for, um, especially if we use their language, especially if we use their language. You know, if you talk to um, when I used to tell my son, he would point at something and say, oh, can I have it? And I said, can you tell me how much it costs? There you go. And he would yeah. say, and he would read the label. Well, it says that it's $2 and so-and-so says, great, how much do you have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you start getting that concept of, okay, well, I want this. And, you know, and we would have some conversation. Well, you want it. Okay, you want it. How long do you think it's going to last? You know, just dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. And today... You know, kids have a smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. They can look up anything, mm-hmm. uh, unlike us where we had to go to the library to search out everything. Right, the card so catalog. You can, right. So teach them to download apps that teach them to be more financially savvy. There are plenty of tools that kids can learn to, to begin becoming more and more acquainted. We have what's called hands-on banking. It starts at kindergarten. Good. Yes, I think you know, and shopping with your children, I think, is one of the greatest ways to teach uh, to teach them about uh, money because there you are in the store and the, and they want something, and you know the other thing we need to teach them right along with that is how are you going to work to get it? So in other words, nothing comes for free. Yep. And gone other days, so I, I think I'm going to tell at least me where the bank would come into the school, and you would have the passbook. And you could stick your quarters in the book and right. they would record it and take it out. Well, you know, there are regulations that prevent that now. Uh, but the concept should still be the same, you know. Uh, 
teach kids that a little equates to a lot. So if you've got this quarter, it may not have been able to buy what it could buy, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. But if you start with, you know, a quarter plus another quarter is 50 cents, and this is the value of 50 cents, and if you keep saving, similar to what the story was about a dime, and then next week I'll give you two dimes, how it multiplies, mm-hmm. kids get the concept of money because they want to spend it. That's yeah, right. I gave my they kids passbooks. No yeah. I, I when when we opened up their accounts, my children are eighteen and twenty four. When uh, when we opened up their uh, bank accounts with uh, money that they had gotten for Christmas, and you know, I said you could go spend this, or you know, you can save it up. And so from the time they were very young, they would you know we go to the bank, and I loved it because they could actually look at their book to see how much money was in there. They could see when the deposits were made, and. Uh, my oldest son was able to save several thousand dollars so that the time came when he wanted to buy a car. He knew it was there and it was, you know, that was his like, listen, if you want to, if this is the car that you want, you, you know, you got to pay to play. You got to pony up the money that you had in the bank because my younger son, I don't know that he'll ever spend his. He is the biggest saver in the world and I love it. Dean, Dean is very frugal. Um, and there's he, always one that is and one that isn't. He, he likes to see, right. he <laughs> likes to see those numbers going up. Yeah. You know, and good for he, him. He's very funny too because he had a, he has a certificate of deposit. He goes, it's really not doing anything. I think I should move it out there. Cause <laughs> I mean, right now the, you know, some of the interest rates are so abominably low. It's, Absolutely. it's like, I would love for there to be him getting interest on it. So he'd be saying, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it ride. I'm going to keep it in there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Banking is you did all of the right things, right? You know, I, I tell I, I just got finished actually doing what we call a financial literacy uh, class with a bunch of ninth graders at a particular high school, and we had a conversation about sneakers. Mm. And I said, um, "Raise your hand if your sneakers cost twenty dollars." No hands went up. I said, forty dollars." Two hands went up. Fifty dollars. You know, a couple of more hands. Sixty dollars. Just a few more hands, $70, just a few more hands. By the time I got to $100, um, I still had people with their hands down. Wow. Wow. Sneakers. And sneakers. Yep. I was on Amazon looking for water shoes for the Dragon Boat Festival, and I don't want to pay more than $19, so I'm still looking. I'm still looking for my $19 water shoes. Well, that's also because of, you know, what I will tell you is how you were raised and how you were taught the value of money. And I get that every generation wants the next generation to do better. Mm-hmm. I want them to do better by saving, not better by spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michelle, tell and me when you when did you first realize that it, it was finance that you were going to pursue? <laughs> I I will tell you, finance found me. I did not find <laughs> it. Uh, I, I will tell you the truth. I, I've always kept a little uh, a part-time job. And so when I was a cashier ever since I was about 14, 15 years old, and it was a store at that time called McCrory's. I'm not sure if they were. Oh, in, I've been to McCrory's. Uh, so that's where I worked. Uh, and then from there, I went to uh, Rutgers and said, you know, I'm not going to continue to do this. There must be something else I can do that's, you know, you know, handling money and customer service. And I went to apply for at the time it was called core states uh new jersey national bank mm-hmm. and i was a teller a part-time teller while completing my undergraduate degree and in walks uh the regional president for the area and it was a woman and i looked and said that's the job i'm gonna have oh uh, you said i want to be her oh yeah yeah because the the company was predominantly meant just 
all men, every everyone I had come across. If you looked at from the CEO on down, everything said that this was, you know, a man's business. And mm-hmm. when she crossed the threshold and said, I want to introduce you to the new regional president, and it, and there was a woman. I began talking to her, and I said, oh, I now know the job I'm going to have. So that my degrees don't line up with it at all. Yeah. Did she become a mentor for you? Were you able to? Uh, absolutely. Good. Uh, informal and formal, because at first from a distance, um, I had a knack for being able to, to talk to people about, you know, how they need to start savings. And I used to do it at college. I would take everything I was learning at work and come back to, you know, to, to campus and say, you really don't need that credit card. Do you know what you're doing? Do you even have a job? You know, and so I would yeah. start all of that, right. uh, all of that back then. And uh, she said, you just have this gift for, for talking and getting people <laughs> to understand finances. And I uh, said, you know, tell me more about what you do. And the more I learned about it, uh, the more I became intrigued. And so today I... Uh, I've had her job for uh, several years now, but <laughs> you I booted uh, her right out of there. I love that. Like, yeah, well, I want no, that no, no, job. No, no. <laughs> I was glad to have known her, but I will tell you that that was my point of inspiration. Yeah, that's a great story. Michelle, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want you to talk about your uh, development institute, Saving Our Boys. Yeah, we'll be right perfect. back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco. I forgot to say my name. And uh, I want to give you our phone number to call in if you'd like to speak to our guest today, Michelle Lawrence, who is the Area Banking President and Senior Vice President for the Philadelphia Retail Market of Wells Fargo. It'd be, nice, number- it'd be nice to inspire somebody to call in to say, I want Michelle's job when she's done with it. <laughs> and then she'll have to move up to president or I don't know what goes at chairman. Yeah. Um, but our number is 888-329-3306 if you're listening and you want to call in and, and ask Michelle a question. Um, Michelle, I, you know, reading your background, of course, one of the things that stood out for me was your work with young men here in Philadelphia and really wanting to help empower them and, and really guide them to become financially independent. Tell me how that all came about. Uh, I attended a meeting uh, out at the school district about six years ago, actually by invitation of a friend who was attending. And it was there that I learned that they were building three additional prisons based on eight-year-old test scores, mm. eight-year-old boy test scores. And, uh, you know, I'm a guest, so I wasn't invited directly to participate, but as I was hearing this information, I said, let me, let me see if I understand. You're building prisons now based on eight-year-old test scores. Yes. I said, so great. Where's the prevention money? I, I see what we're doing for revenue, but where's the prevention? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no answer for that. And at the time, my nephews were leaving. And I said, so what you're telling me 
is that you're declaring that my nephew will be an inmate rather than a graduate. Wow. And I'm following that hard swallow. Yes. Uh, and so I sought out uh, some men in the area and some great organizations who said, what do you want to do? And I kept saying, well, you come up with something and I will gladly support you. Uh, but it ended up that it was not their call or their conviction. It was one for me. And so I started what was what I now have for five years, Saving Our Boys. Uh, oh. Saving Our Boys is a holistic program where you enter for, uh, as rising freshmen. We take you through leadership development in the summer, your first summer. You have an intense experience on a college campus where you uh, learn leadership skills, you learn how to lead yourself, you learn how to lead others, and you learn how to give back to the community. Uh, we spend subsequent months. They meet with me monthly throughout the year on Saturdays, full sessions on Saturdays. We start at 9, we finish at 3. Mm -hmm. And we have the following Leadership Institute uh, the following summer. So each summer they're on a different college campus. Learning and embracing and accepting that college is an option and that college is real and that if you get to walk on these campuses now, you should be able to walk across the stage with your degree and apply for a school. I had 30 in my first cohort. In fact, my first cohort just concluded this year. All 30 graduated from high school and 26 of the 30 are in school, college. What a great idea to put them on that campus and, and not just talk to them about college and say you can do it, but to show them, you know, what it is and where they can be if they work mm -hmm. hard. I love that idea. How are Now, this is a nonprofit, right, Michelle? Yes, indeed. Yeah, so how do you support, how is it supported? A couple of ways. Uh, again, I have some great organizations that uh, spend some time with them. So some of it is through time, my entire board uh, is highly supportive and non-paying board. My uh, executive director and my coaches are volunteer and they've been with me from implementation until today. Uh, I have organizations such as Women We Miss that uh, will participate. The uh, local 100 Black Men has come and participated and supported. Uh, the colleges have been phenomenal. Uh, Arcadia University, Cheney University, Lincoln University. I, I probably get uh, opportunities on these campuses at a cost that um, would otherwise cost more if it wasn't for the fact that I'm a nonprofit and they see the work that's being done and the commitment of the young men, quite frankly, that are in the program. And so they stay for the entire four years. I, there's no swapping in and out. Once you're in, you're in, and I, it's, it's the village that I talk about, right? So even on my tagline, it says saving our boys, it takes a village. And so the guardian, the parent, whoever it is, they have to be bought in, uh, and it's that type of support mechanism. So there's internal from my infrastructure with my staff. There's external because it's about the boys, so the colleges that I partner with, the organizations that have uh, I partner with, uh, Commissioner Slauson has been extremely, extremely um, valuable in making sure that our boys have access to rec centers. She has uh, allowed me to apply for uh, small grants to help get book bags for the year. Um, 
she's been instrumental in all of this as well. One of the great things that you're doing with the program, I think, is is having the boys that graduate come back and mentor the boys that are in the program, and and you describe it as my brother's keeper. Indeed, long before the President's program, right? Um, right. So, yes. Uh, when it was first introduced, the, the the my brother's keeper concept came from a movie that wasn't quite so positive, but I love the concept of teach one, teach one. So the same opportunity I'm giving you, you have to come back. So with each. We had a mixed bag. I had a few sneak in that were a little bit older than freshmen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing when, you know, you get them in a room and they're already there. They're on campus. And I'm like, what do you mean you graduate? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, then it's the dropping of the head. Well, um, see, (laughs) Uh, but uh, it actually paid because I had, the first set of graduates out of high school come right back and say, this is what you're experiencing. This is why she's telling you to do what she's telling you. This is why the interns are important. You know, you need to listen to Miss Michelle because this is what you're going to face and professors are going to tell you this. And so I'm no longer, you know, doing all of the coaching and inspiring with my coaches and the guest speakers. It's peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. And these young men, they learn from each other. And my coaches were impeccable. Uh, my coaches were uh, graduates, college graduates, fresh fresh college graduates, and they were both also pursuing their master's degree. So they are talking to these young men because they're from the same neighborhoods, but they're also saying to them, look, I just got straight A's this semester. What's your problem? You know, and they (laughs) would have – so it's nothing like having your coaches – you know, get straight A's uh, during their mastery, their master's program, and they're talking to the high school and saying, "Get it together." That's right. It's, oh, it's, it's always like uh, it's like the Big Brothers program, except on steroids. Really, <laughs> because <laughs> because they they can say, you know, it, when if I go talk to a child who um, may feel that they don't have all the privilege in life that my children have, you know, mm-hmm. but when they find out that you know that my parents didn't go to college and that I had to pay for my own education. And that it, I felt that my education was worth it to take out the exorbitant loans. Um, they get a very different picture. I, I talk to pre-med students every year. And I think it makes, uh, you know, that we talk every week about mentorship. And your, this, this program sounds like such an amazing opportunity, not just for the, the boys who are being mentored, but for the ones that have come through the program because there's nothing like giving back and watching somebody else succeed because, you know, being, and being part of that because you're part of that changing the world. You're changing that human being's, you know, trajectory in life by giving back. And I'll tell you, I learned. They taught me a great deal about discipline. You know, you can't give up on these boys. It's not oh, you know, I really don't think I'm going to make it this Saturday. Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> oh, no yes, sleeping I will. in yeah, you, you just don't want to give up on them. And, mm. you know, my, my schedule gets a little hectic and gets a little challenging, um, but they make me better yeah. because I don't want to disappoint them. And how, um, how do the boys get selected, or do they have to apply? How does that work? They did, uh, and so we had applications out all across the city for the first cohort. And interestingly enough, we got no tapes in the beginning. I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? It's free. When did you ever have a free program like this mm. and folks not be interested? And so here you go. As soon as I hit the churches, 
I, I had to turn it off. <laughs> the schools didn't get it, but the churches did. Yeah. And so there were pastors and associate ministers that were just signing up their boys. Oh, no, <laughs> you're going. Right, um, right. They don't know. They don't know what's best for them, you know, a lot of them, um, and, until they're in it, and then they see how beneficial it is. Well, and, and that's, that, you know, to that point, I I had boys in the program who were absolutely brilliant, uh, but their environments were rough, their circumstances mm. were, were challenging, mm. and to look at them, you would say, yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? Why would you want to, you know, spend time there? And it was getting them past some of the things that they were experiencing in life at a very young age, things that I had not experienced as an adult. And so it was getting people to touch them and meet them where they were Mm -hmm. and then telling them, I get it. I'm trying to learn more about it. But let me tell you, when you show up like this, this is the message you're sending. And is this the message you want to send? Um, but I've also had a couple of professors that had some um, key learnings. They gave feedback in particular in one session. My boys, you know, kind of started slouching and leaning. Because uh, with this new generation, you can't talk at them. You have to engage. They can pick up a phone and check anything you're saying. And so if you're not interactive, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole behavior of, you know, wah, wah, we called it the Charlie Brown syndrome, right? <laughs> I do that all the time. That's right. my, that's my you know, favorite analogy. It, I, I told everybody. It was rude. Yeah, yeah so true. Thought it was rude. This next generation is just like, yeah, really? <laughs> and so they began slouching and leaning. Um, and then after the professor was finished, you know, giving his uh, lesson, I actually said to him, I said, I don't want you to leave because I think you were under the impression that they didn't learn anything. I said, here's something I want to teach you. I told the boys to take away all of their notes, remove them. I then handed out blank uh, marker chart paper and set them up in teams of three and said, you have the next 10 minutes to answer these 10 questions about what was just given to you. And in that 10 minutes, they all answered those 10 questions. And when the professor finished asking the questions, Every team raised their hand to answer all the questions. They were listening. They just don't like being spoken at. They want to be engaged. Yeah. And so he said, oh, my goodness. I said, so how often are they judged because of their behavior? But most of it is because they're in an interactive world now, and we, you know, folks that are teaching them are not used to being so interactive, but they're animated. They don't want to sit and you know, have you dictate and lecture to them. That's not what they're growing up in. They're growing up in, you know, we fit and we and, you know, games that are interactive and social media and things, quick responses. And so if you're not going to ask more open-ended questions, things that we tell adults, open-ended questions, (laughs) then you're not going to get the response you're looking for. And so... Translation is that's what I teach the boys, but that's also what I've had to teach some of the teachers. Yeah, I work with 515 people. I have to learn how to engage 515 people. Well, it's such a good point. You have to. Ha- it has to be a back and forth because the kids all day yeah. long have back and forth in their communication. Yeah, and you're go- you're you're really te- you're really inspiring them though. I mean, you're not you're not because you can't continue to be with each one of them every single day 
to continue to motivate them. But it sounds like what you're really doing is you're, you know, you're hitting that place of inspiration and that's what they take away with them. Well, we have our core, you know, what we call our core visions. So they understand that these are our principles, our guiding principles and things that we teach them, you know, before you start your day, sit down, get your act, breathe, take 10 minutes to silence your mind because they're going through a lot. Silence mm-hmm. your mind. Get, get, get yourself together. Clear it out. Then go eat. Yeah, clear mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. Then go eat. Or, you know, sometimes they couldn't go eat. They had to go to school to eat. And then, you know, get your date. And we had to teach them how to diffuse if you get antagonized. So there were some life skills that the coaches would teach. Yeah, I know the neighborhood you're in, you know, but you have to learn to respond, not react. So we, it's not just academia. It's life lessons. Mm. Oh, yeah. And that's where the coaches came in because I didn't go back home with them. But the yeah. coaches knew what they were going back home to, and they would say, you, you can't get caught up in all of that. Yeah, that's really um, the challenge at the end of the day. That the, you know, the greatest challenge is is where they're coming from and what they're facing on a personal level. You know, the education and and the tools and the resources are are probably very exciting to them, but if they're not coming in prepared to receive it, you know, then it then it's difficult. And each of them was brilliant in their own way. Right. Uh, just I, I had such an amazing time with them. I, I really did. And so we're starting up uh, cohort number two in September. So do you get siblings? Do you get siblings (laughs) Uh, interested in siblings interested in the program? Yes. Uh, So that's the other thing. But as long as they're within the age range, it's going it'll work out. But um, I actually, and I'm in the midst of it, so I can't talk about the school. But I also am working directly with one school this time uh, because it'll. I I have buy-in from a principal that is willing to help me work more closely even with teachers so that I can have a greater impact. I just love it. The financial queen is going to be known as the educator. I mean, when you <laughs> when you think about the mark that you make on society, nobody's going to care how much money you made for the bank. It's going to be how many lives that you impacted by giving the gift of education. And, you know, I started the call by saying, you know, that my grandmother's famous words to me were, may the work I've done speak for me. And that's what she used to say, Michelle. It's who you are, not what you do. That's the difference maker. Mm-hmm. Who you are. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, another um, topic I wanted to cover is is the work that you've done with the, uh, I'm going to say the F. Fawn Foundation um, with Mary J. Blige, the Foundation for the Advancement of Women Now. Is that something you're still active in? Uh, not anymore, but it was great. Uh, part in part because it was traveling the Yonkers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is that from, a fun place? Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it was just a commute. But I, I will tell you, she runs a very serious organization. Uh, the young women. She's doing for young women what I was doing for for, for the young men. Okay. And uh, I had an opportunity to go up there and run a series uh, around financial literacy for them. How did and you connect was, with her? Uh, actually, it was her uh, director online on, on the website. We were able to connect, and I said, look, I'm interested in doing a series for you with regards to the women because, you know, if you're reaching back to women, I certainly want to help you reach back. And at the time, I was also going back and forth home, which is New Jersey. So I'm like, oh, that's not going to be a piece of cake, not paying attention to the distance to Yonkers from Philly. Mm. Um, but 
what she was doing to reinvest in women was appealing to me. And they were like, well, how much are you going to charge? And, you know, I don't know if we have all of this money. I said, ooh, I, first of all, I don't charge, uh, number one. And number two, uh, when I say it's a series, it'll be, you know, four sessions to start, and then we'll see what we can do subsequently. And, uh, you know, after they learned that it was free, they are like, so did you say tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> but we... <laughs> We plotted it out, and uh, it was great. And it really was great to work with the, the women. And, you know, it was women uh, from different walks of life. That Some were very, very young, and some were in their 20s. And um, I ran one session where the staff sat in. They're like, wait a minute, you're running the savings? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> I need to it. learn that, too. Yeah, <laughs> I need to learn this one. Right. Um, but, you know, all of those things. Uh, all of the the workshops that I've ever done are done because I believe that if you can impart what you know, and I don't, I'm not a guru, <laughs> not the financial queen or wizard, but if you can impart, you know, Beth you called know, you that, <laughs> <laughs> and get people started, then I'll let, that that's the difference that it'll make. Yeah, you point people in a direction, you know. Uh, the Wizard of Oz said, Dorothy, follow the yellow brick road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm not sending folks to a fake wizard, but I will tell you that there is a roadmap to saving. Right. Yeah. yeah. A roadmap to Let's talk and, about your, your job for a moment. You um, you manage over or close to 40 retail stores, uh, their yeah. banking services in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. I think there's over 500 employees that are, um, you know, you're dealing with on a regular basis. What is the toughest part? about that job. And, and also I read recently in the news about retail in Philadelphia that it, it's on an upswing, which I was really thrilled to hear about. What's, uh, what's happening in retail in Philadelphia? Um, I think customers are becoming uh, highly aware of their, their banking needs. I think that there are different outlets, and so some are using different vehicles to meet those needs, but I will tell you that the institution that's going to win with customers is the institution mm-hmm. that invests in customers, yep. um, which is why I do what I do around financial literacy. It's not because of the company I work for. My company is certainly one that takes pride in the hands-on banking series that they run, but I personally have a commitment around educating, and so that's one of the wins that I have um, with working at Wells. In terms of the toughest thing to do uh, with uh, the job, the toughest thing I would say is uh, getting to everyone. Um, there are occasions where I have to say no, and I, I think that that's probably the toughest thing personally. Um, the other piece is getting everybody equipped to make decisions. Uh, my company is certainly a company that I advocate for, but, you know, the best thing about uh, uh, my company is that we want the best thing for the customer. And so if it doesn't start with us, it doesn't mean that we're not going to teach you financial literacy. I've done three different workshops that we sponsored where at no point did we say, please come and do your business with us. Over 300 businesses where we took through an entire circuit, 24 you know, CDIs to come. Why? Because I want them educated and because the company supports me educating. We did the same thing for Women's Series. Uh, That is what I would say is what we promote. The upswing comes from folks, you know, spending a little bit more. 
I'm in retail, but it's more along the lines of consumer banking and small business banking. We see that customers are becoming far more deliberate about where is my money, how is it performing, what is it doing, and how do I make it grow even more. Uh, that's what I love. I just wish more were asking me those questions. So, Michelle, it's very... I actually have to push that more than I am having customers ask me that. Your passions are very um, obvious and, and obviously wonderful, and I applaud you for all that you're doing because I know, too, it's the, the word saying the word no is a difficult one in my vocabulary as well. What do you do for you? What do you do um, for Michelle to take care of you? Oh, yeah. Uh, there are those uh, there are those uh, weeks where I just have to go like I'm doing right now. In fact, I'm boarding a plane. That's the only reason I couldn't be in the studio. Oh, <laughs> where are we where going? Someplace fun, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not announcing that on the radio. Somebody might decide it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> They'll track you down and take pictures. So, so you're gonna go. Ha- you're gonna go right. take some time for uh, you. So that's those are the moments to get away. Um, just to go decompress, yeah, because I do believe if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of anybody else. Um, and so there are deliberate times during the year where I'll say I, it's, it's time. It's time to step away for a couple of days and rejuvenate. And I believe in, you know, quiet time. Mm. And so sometimes it's a beach where it's just, you know, quiet time because I'm always thinking and moving and going. And I need to just bring it down. Do, do you take do you take that ten minutes every morning for yourself, like you train these young boys yeah, to do? Actually, actually, it turns into more like thirty minutes. Good girl. Hey, I do. I do. Self care is so important, and so many. I mean, I'm finding more and more that the the more successful women we meet, the better equipped they have um, become at taking care of themselves because. Burnout is is a, it's a real you know it's a real deal and and compassion fatigue and you know you can love what you do but if you don't take the time to take care of you you're not going to be worth anything to anybody else. I will tell you I learned the hardest lesson and that is I was told to get a masseuse and to frequently get massages massages because I, I would get so tight across my my shoulder blades. Yeah, the weight of the world. My lower back. Yeah, and my lower back and the last. Uh, I had one in particular, one incident in particular, where the masseuse said, do you want to die? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the table and you're asking me, do I want to die? She's like, do you want to die? Do you realize how serious these knots are? And oh, my gosh. I said, okay. Okay. And that was many, many years ago. After that, my I immediately kicked in with, I'm taking these vacations. I'm getting busy. <laughs> Because, no, I'm never going to be in a position where somebody is touching me and dictating that. My body is telling them. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of it's sad that it takes moments like that to get there. And uh, yeah. that's one of the things I try to inspire and, 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 you know, encourage young women particularly because they're pushing and pushing and pushing to so-called break through this glass ceiling. And I said if you shatter the glass but you shatter your body and your mind and your spirit at the same time, What's no one's going to be there to celebrate it. Absolutely. That's why who you are is more important than what you do. That's right. And that, I love it. I didn't always understand my grandmother telling me that, but I, I am at peace. And I had that conversation earlier today. Somebody says, are you at peace with who you are? I said, yes. Mm. 
That's terrific to hear. Michelle, you're so sweet to join us today while you're on your way out of Philadelphia. I really appreciate it. And uh, there may be some listeners that want to get in touch with you for um, multiple reasons. Uh, can you share some contact information that's best to contact you? Certainly. It's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E dot Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at wellsfargo.com. Uh, that is the easiest way, and Sue, as you know, Lisa is normally working <laughs> yes. what I need to do. That's right. So We have yeah, to give a shout-out to Lisa, Lisa Yang, yes. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> she, makes, she's, she makes my world all right. <laughs> she's your, your personal would. gatekeeper, I like to say, Absolutely. and we all need one. To organize their project manager, she's. Everybody needs one in their life that can offset because you can't work and run as hard as, as I do and not have somebody that you can rely on. Right. And she is absolutely somebody I can rely on. I hope she's listening. Oh, she is. So uh, at least I get a good shout out. So there you go. Thanks Listen. for spending the hour with us. Have a great trip. Oh, my pleasure, ladies. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. And if you'd like to listen um, and you're not in the Philadelphia area, be sure to go to womentowatch.net where you can listen live. Make it a great week, everyone. Thank you.